Listen to me very carefully. There are three ways of doing things around here. The right way, the wrong way, and the way that we do it. You understand? Get uh, the fuck out of here! <laughs> <laughs> See, that's coming up next. <laughs> Haven't seen it with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevene. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time. I believe this is Tommy's first time. Yeah. Seeing Casino. Uh, Steve, upstairs, Steve, joining us again on the podcast. Welcome back in, sir. Hey, what do you hear? What do you say? Hey, Don. So, so I, decided, I decided I'm going to do an old podcast in a Joe Pesci voice. Is that okay with you guys? <laughs> the whole but, time. <laughs> yeah, you, we, can, we, can, well, here's the thing. Joe Pesci does like like a weird impression of a Joe Pesci if he was like kind of from the Midwest, you know, like the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, no, so it's, it's weird. It, it's, it's not even him. like a Joe Pesci voice. It's like a, he's got this like weird upturn onto it where he's like, ah, hey, you know what? Yeah, no, he, yeah. It's yeah. something with his A's. Like I, I don't know. It, it's it's, it's like very he's str- strange. <laughs> it's stringent. It's like a a. It's 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 a it's a unique voice for Joe Pesci in this one. No, um, he's definitely trying too hard. Now, honestly, it, it would have had the same effect if he just kept his uh, regular voice. Yeah, but um, it, you know what? I'll spare you from the Joe Pesci Chicago impression that I would <laughs> even vaguely try to attempt to do. And, uh, <laughs> attempt and fail. I mean, yeah. Joe Pesci is great in this movie, but it is pretty much a retread of his like Goodfellas rolling away. <laughs> eh, well, more or less, we we could we could get to all that fun stuff uh, yeah. when we dive so, deep here. Upstairs, Steve, I guess you're you're our resident uh, Vegas expert because you know we've had you on for Fear and Loving Las Vegas, and now we had you on for Casino. So huh. whenever we have a Vegas set movie. We call upstairs Steve. I guess that's the call we, we let out. <laughs> I, I mean, like, coincidentally, I've never been to Vegas, and Tim was just there. <laughs> so, so I mean, I won, and I won. Sammy yeah. would not have been pl- happy with me. I left with fun. some, I left with money. You left with some money? I they they would have shut for that. I w- was yeah. up, I won like $250 total over a weekend. So hey, that's fucking way. Hey, better than zero dollars. <laughs> yeah, better than I'm, losing money. If I break even at a casino, I'm just like, all right, I broke even. Whereas I, any other given weekend, I would have been out the whole like 500 bucks. So I would say that it's a win. You yeah, know? I, I, I had I had like four hours worth of fun and I'd spend any money. Like I, I had like $200 from Christmas money that had been sitting in my drawer for, uh, I don't know, approximately 10 months. And then I just took it out. Um, yeah. I'm very that way with gambling. Like I assign a total number that I'm going to allocate myself. It's a time investment where I could potentially win money. And if yeah. I lose it, I lose it. I don't take a debit card with me. It's just. Oh, wow. You don't even yeah. take a debit card with it. No, I take the money that I want. I bring it ahead of time. And then that's my money. I'm not a not Look trying to this... chase myself out of a hole. You know, that's how people go down $10,000 in a weekend. Look at yeah. Mister Responsible Gam- Gambler over here. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, man, that's uh, that's pretty good. More power to yeah. you there. <laughs> I, it's more well I, than I have. 
So th- this is our gambling uh, spin-off podcast upstairs, Steve, that we're introducing you to, where we tell you all about the ins out of Vegas, uh, you know, how to count cards, uh, how to get your hands broken well, Tommy's by a hammer. A, <laughs> listen, people don't know what Tommy does on the side, but he's actually a line setter for the sports books. So Tommy spets, bets the lot, puts the lines out for the NFL games. So Tommy, can you maybe walk us through when you're watching NFL games, what makes you indicate when a matchup comes together, how you're going to put a line together? Uh, basically, I check uh, which uniform I prefer, and um, I try and see, did uh, Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or Eli Manning play on this team 10 years ago? Because that's my favorite reference. That, that That's such a broad spectrum. <laughs> you went from Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, two of the greatest to ever do it, then the Eli, elite quarterback, and this is coming from a Giants fan, don't get me wrong. Not on their Super tier. Super Bowl winning quarterback, but I mean still. Not on their tier. Yeah, not it's definitely totally <laughs> different tier here, but uh, you know, stick to the color of the uniforms, though, Tommy. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> serve me well so far. <laughs> you, you know, of, of all my friends, I could honestly see Tommy being the one that actually knows how to count cards and like <laughs> I'm like a savant. <laughs> yeah, no, like you're Alan from The Hangover. You're just like you know, just this like goofy dude, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, no, I'm reading up out of count cards, and then we just walk away with fifty grand. <laughs> he's Dustin. He's Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man, you know. Yeah. If any of the casino guys come up to us after Tommy wins, I'm gonna be like, "You kidding me? Look at him! He, he just got lucky!" And then they're just gonna look at Tommy and they're like, "Yeah, you're." Right. I mean, I'm gonna give the thumbs up and be like, "Oh yeah, yeah!" yeah. <laughs> like, <this laughs> like Tommy's gonna, no Tommy's gonna like split split tens, which you, you should never do. And then yeah. he's just gonna get two aces, and he's just gonna go, "Yeah." He's gonna double That's down it. on a pair of twos. Yeah, he's just double, <laughs> and he's, and then he doubles down on one of them, right? He gets. Uh, Oh my uh, God, Tommy. I can totally see it. Yeah. But, like, this guy can't even read. <laughs> like we, we gotta let him go. <laughs> so, did you boys see anything recently that's worth uh, discussing? Oh my God, yes, I did. Tommy, go first though, because um, I don't remember. Literally, right before we recorded, I just uh, saw the new David Fincher film, The Killer, on Netflix. And... Oh, that was that was gonna be mine. You fuck. <laughs> 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 phenomenal movie i really enjoyed it uh I, i'm sure you love the fact that like half the, the whole movie is soundtracked by the smiths spoiler alert <laughs> oh my god first of all like when it wasn't the smiths the score was done by trent Reznor, who yeah. i'm a huge nine inch nails fan and so i'm like okay so what i'm not listening to fucking like um instrumentals done by fucking trent Reznor. i'm listening to the smiths every other song you know, what <laughs> just total was, steve core because <laughs> it, it, it would be like drowned out smiths when he you're outside looking in and then when you were yeah. pov you would hear the full song and i'm like no just stay in the full song i like this uh, song. Just, just just like don't break the song just make this a smith's music video come on dan <laughs> fincher you're you're a music theater director <laughs> just going over and over again oh, but um uh I, I just thought it was a really like fun captivating movie and like the fact that it was just pretty much just going from place to place to place. Uh, I think it was well paced. I mean, you know, leave it to David Fincher being uh, meticulous and stuff like that. And I thought that Michael Fassbender gave a fascinating performance. So it was it was a fun movie. Fascinating performance. I have not watched it yet because of my whole Netflix thing, but I'm going to try to log it in on a, on a different device and see if I can manipulate it to be able to watch it. Um, yeah, no, I did a really good job. Um, it really it shoots a lot like Fight Club, obviously, considering same director. But mm. um, you know what is most interesting that I learned about it was that it's actually a graphic novel, and the person that told oh yeah, me, 
Yeah, the person that told me about it was like, yeah, it's a graphic novel. It's really good. And like, if you like Fight Club, like, you know, it reads and actually like translates to the screen and screen in a very similar way. So, you know, you got your like anonymous, like protagonist with no name, kind of like Fight Club again. And the killer. Uh, yeah, the killer goes by different The killer. The killer. The killer. <laughs> Yeah, well, considering that was going to be mine. Um, <laughs> do do you next... watch anything else, Steve? Come on, man. You got to come up with one to the table. <laughs> oh, my God. If you I can't think no of one right now, we're kicking you out right now. Podcast is over. Pause all it. Right. Pause it. All right, fine. I'm doing, um, all right, I'm doing um, the most recent Scorsese movie, which is a um, good transition Kill- into what we're talking about here. Killers, <laughs> Killers of the Flower Moon? Yes, yeah. Killers of the Flower Moon. Very, very long. I got up to pee twice, but <laughs> it, it was still a phenomenal movie. Um, you know, very, uh, especially a true story that I had never even heard of, you know. So, like, I, I always learn something when I watch Scorsese movies in one form or fashion. But um, <laughs> it's interesting how he can, like, you know, still put you, like, immerse you into, like, whatever world he puts you in, despite, like, the period that the movie takes place in. Just, and, like, the darkness of the subject matter. Often, yeah, yeah exactly. I, and I mean, it like it's a long movie. It's a very, very long movie. And I thought Casino was long, so that's why I don't really watch Casino as often as I'd like to. But mm-hmm. um, you know, it's well worth the commitment. I would say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, seeing theaters was like just a great experience. I was glad to able to experience it. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, but like still, it just sits a few in a way that like sometimes, of course, these movies others don't as much. This one just, I feel like the ending was just really powerful. So, yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, they could have done another hour just based, but they had to like wrap it up in the end. And they're like, all right. So, like, okay, we, we can't make this a five hour movie. We're not doing the fucking Snyder cut here. <laughs> well, there's apparently a, a, a Scorsese cut that's going to be on Apple TV, on Apple TV or whatever. Um, like, there's going to be a four hour cut of the movie. Oh, God. For when <laughs> you have half a day to kill. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, but then you get the pause. I feel like it's got some pause breaks in it, you know, where it's like yeah. a good like, yeah, I watched an hour and a half. I got it. I can do another hour and a half and then I can I'm, finish it. Over I mean, a, I, over I will here. say one one thing about the killer I did like was that if um, the killer itself, the David Finch, uh, Fincher movie was that it broke up the chapters and I watched it one straight shot. You well, it's totally like could two hours. It. It's two hours, right? Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't that bad, but yeah, in terms of length. Um, but you know, you could if you wanted to, you could just pause it. Like, all right, I finished chapter one. All right, whatever. <laughs> like, let me watch yeah. this little bite. If you're yeah, like yeah. one of those people that can only watch movies via like TikTok reels with like somebody playing some weird iPhone game underneath it, then like the killer is basically made for you. Oh <laughs> uh, fucking yeah. um yeah, no, I had to like time out my piss breaks just based off of my overall like knowledge of movies because i'm like when this, this is like, where becoming a movie buff comes in it's yeah like, absolutely I take a piss? because like you know after like something like you know really like you know like profound happens in the plot or like you know a very significant like it moment happens I'm, i watch like the first minute or two and I can kind of gauge on, all right, like this is going to be dialogue to like set up like the next scene or something. I'll just catch up later. Let, let me run to the bathroom now. And then yeah. I did my like, you know, pee squat over the bathroom. <laughs> and then I run back. Waddle, your waddle. 
You're, yeah, you're my fucking you waddle out like toilet paper fucking coming out of your leg. <laughs> yeah, with with my clothespin and all that shit. <laughs> so. Um, you you ever hear that app? Uh, what's the fucking app? It's like uh, when to pee or something like that. It's you search a movie. It's like peebreaks.com. <laughs> it's like yeah, 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 yeah. the yeah. ideal time to ah, go to the bathroom. It's for amateurs. Yeah. No, this is listen. Like, don't, <laughs> don't use that. Just use upstairs Steve's knowledge. Yeah, just just call, you call him upstairs, Steve. We'll, yeah, be uh, a disruption in the, right in, now. Yes, his number is nine one one. You call that number, um, and then he will answer. And then you tell him what's going on. You do it loudly because you're in a movie yeah. theater and yeah. you want to disrupt other people. So when do, do I it, pee? When do I got to pee, dude? Goes to the flower moon, and then he goes, "Okay, what just happened? Tell me what's going on. I haven't seen it yet." and you start explaining the plot and he goes yeah Mm. now's a good time and then you put him on speaker as you're walking down Mm. the stairs as you're thanking him exactly i'll I'll even do you one better you don't even need to tell me the plot just like tell me the runtime tell me how far in you are and then i'll be like all right listen here's the deal you're an hour and 10 minutes into an hour and 45 minute movie if you leave right now you're gonna miss the climax depending on how badly you gotta go so I would say put a closed pin on it, stop being a pussy and sit through the fucking movie or pee in the cup or just pee in the cup and then you'll be fine. <laughs> if you're, you're a real savage. Well, it's a I, sold out theater, Steve. Well, you know, that's sometimes true. you got to do what you got to do. Sacrifices have to be made. <laughs> Are the lights on? No, you can get away with anything. You're good. All right. If Pee Wee Herman could get away with doing what he was doing, well, actually, he didn't get away with it. <laughs> the exact opposite he got arrested and, and you he know got in, caught. in peewee's credit that was that was not a normal movie theater like you know like if you're going to see a yeah. disney pixar movie maybe don't do that in the in, you feel like it'd be theater, encouraged you know? to whip your dick out of a fucking porno theater this is be a great one for your mom to listen to that's all I'm it, thinking. Uh, any yeah. single anyone that you put me on is just like tell your mom right away not to listen just, just, upstairs, just, just be like that upstairs Steve guy is a horrible influence alright this is Casino yeah <laughs> I was a hell of a handicapper I had it down so good that I ran one of the biggest casinos in Las Vegas for Tangiers they had it all they ran the show, and it was paradise while it lasted. Frankie! Robert De Niro, Sharon Stone, Joe Pesci, a Martin Scorsese picture. You realize what you can do? You can get a dog Casino, rated R, starts Wednesday at theaters everywhere. All right. So this is Casino. This is the first time I've seen it since high school. So it's definitely hits a little different now. I have a better acumen of it. Steve, you understand you Vegas more. Yeah, I understand Vegas more. I, you know, Steve, you uh, said that uh, you know this. You like this movie, but it, the runtime kind of puts you off from watching it. What is when you watch this movie? What are your what makes it not one that you want to come back to? Because the runtime doesn't always stop me. Like I can always watch Lord of the Rings movie. You know. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you there, but, like, the difference between, like, a longer movie like Lord of the Rings versus this one is that there's a lot of dialogue happening in between the action, and there's a lot of characters that share a very similar, like, sort of name. A lot of them have uh, vowels in their last names. So, and, um, <laughs> you know, it, like, in hindsight, it's one of those things where, like, while you're watching the movie, it's like, all right, you're, like, following the characters, and you know, like, who's the made guy, 
who's like, you know, like just one of the soldiers in like the mafia, who's like, you know, the key players, and then who's just like kind of there in the background. So like in hindsight, when you're thinking about the movie, you're like, eh, like, you know, then I gotta like kind of reteach myself everybody's like actual role as it pertains to the plot. It, it's not as it doesn't become as memorable when you're reminiscing on the movie. Does that make any sense? Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, one one thing I noticed this uh, my first watch of this movie is that like this was exposition heavy, um, voiceover heavy. Yeah, especially. I mean, like I think that um, this movie in total, like you know, a lot of it is just De Niro explaining the ins and outs of Vegas, and while I think the exposition is. Uh, handled well and not like really clumsily and everything like that that doesn't make for a better rewatch i feel like compared to like well yes goodfellas does have a ton of voiceover but goodfellas is like the perfect voice perfect amount. it's not because it's not exposition it's about like the characters their feelings their emotions where yeah. like the first hour of this is very exposition heavy like here's all... the inside of this world. Here's how you count cards or uh, whatever. Here's mm-hmm. how people cheat, and like here's how we ca- uh, count all the money and all that shit. I mean, you need a little bit of like you know you background. Need that, or... You do need that explanation for how no, that you do. concludes. Yeah, that, that that's the thing is that if this were any other Vegas movie, I would say it's all right. It's a little too much already. But this movie really lays the foundation of what Las Vegas is today. And why it is what it is today. And that's why you're getting so much expose as to like what is going on. That like you're setting up the scene on like what Vegas was, how it became what it was. And then you're able to kind of draw your inferences based off of what you know Vegas to be today. And it all kind of starts to make sense to you as you're hearing the explanation, like kind of being told to you. So I, I think it's it's valuable for that, but um, yeah, definitely not it's, for um, those with a short attention span. Yeah, it's, it's it's well, I, I watched this movie all the way through. Um, you know, no um, minimal <laughs> phone interaction. But uh, congratulations, give a round of applause for Tommy for watching the movie yeah, no, all the seriously, way through. Seriously, thank for, you for the thank podcast. You. Yeah, I deserve it <laughs> for the, for the podcast. I, I I pick out the movies most of the time. Um, but you know, I, I think that the overall, like you know, a movie like Goodfellas. Um, I feel like even to a more extent, like, you know, other Scorsese movies can be a little more of a breezy. We watch, you can jump in and out of scenes or something like that. Um, whereas this definitely has elements of that. It's not as much. I think it's a little more of a denser movie and they try and condense a little bit more in, um, which just leads to sometimes a, a little bit slower of a movie overall. Uh, I wouldn't say it's, lower i would say it's more i'd say in comparison into like other scorsese movies i feel it runs a little slower than like goodfellas yeah well yeah i I feel like like it's almost fast paced one it's i I feel like (laughs) it's also the one that like this one's gonna draw the closest comparisons to because it's just like another mob empire movie starring two of the three main same actors from goodfellas i mean Uh, in many ways it is kind of almost like Goodfellas too, to an extent. Like uh, Scorsese's same, same writer, same, same writer. Uh, uh, you know, Scorsese. Obviously, he said, "What two of the three main actors, Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci, and Irishman in a way kind of feels like the third of the great." That movie's Scors- very different, though. I feel like in comparison to Goodfellas and Casino, I think these two share a lot more DNA, um, mm-hmm. and like that just shows where Scorsese was compared to the Irishman versus like. 
Goodfellas and Casino because Casino is 95, Goodfellas is 1990. Like that's very close in the timeline versus 2019. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, Irish puts more of like the coda um, to all this more than anything. But yeah, you know, I mean, there's a point where like you know uh, they originally wanted to try and get this, uh, uh, like make a book off this of Casino and stuff like that. And the guy who Robert Giro is based on, like Frank Rosenthal, I think his name is, uh, didn't really want anything to do with this. He's like, I don't really fucking want like a movie to be made about me. Um, and it wasn't well, until it was a book though. Before well, the movie. they the book was completed right when the filming started, like right around the time filming started. Oh, was is cool. that right? The book yeah, came yeah. out in 1995. Huh. Yeah, interesting. See, I didn't read the book, and um, I only found out recently that they had a book uh, based off of it after I did a little digging. But um, yeah, but the book yeah. a bit, it took a while for uh, Frank Rosenthal to even like want to be involved. Uh, with this he's like oh like I don't want my fucking life to be a whole story and then he found out that Nicholas Pegley was uh, making a book out of it and it was going to be adapted by Martin Scorsese and it was going to star Robert De Niro and he became interested because he loved Goodfellas and he thought De Niro was great and he was like oh like well now I gotta be involved with this this sounds amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course, of course you find out De Niro is going to play you in a film adaptation um, you know I, I felt like De Niro played a different character oh yeah in goodfellas but i felt like we were mentioning before though in um you know he played jimmy conway in goodfellas he plays um a sam rothstein but uh nikki played by um joe pesci that felt like an extension of Tommy, you know, just the ruthless gangster that kills total cowboy yeah like you know he was your loose user like quintessential loose cannon gangster and uh, whereas like robert de niro it's like yeah they're like it's easy to compare the two considering like you know he has similar mannerisms to both characters but the difference is jimmy conway is like you know a professional fucking like you know thief and like wise guy and goodfellas and rothstein's just kind of a piece of shit like sort of scumbag so like, like, like Jimmy <laughs> Conway is the, the type of guy that would like kill people himself. As I, I feel like you know, Ro- or Rothstein. Rothstein was a businessman, and I thought the interesting yeah. part of the movie was that you know he was much more like order versus chaos, right? Like for mm-hmm. for Sam and like his ego and the way things went around. As long as he was running the casino his way, right? It's. There's the right way, the wrong way, and my way to do things around here. Mm. Uh, famous quote that we also used earlier <laughs> in, in our episode. But he he wanted that control, but all he wanted was just to give the bosses the bag, right? They made a big yeah. deal of showing how one of the men would come in once a month, take his cut that would go to the old bosses back in you know the Midwest. Um, and then when Nikki finally moves to town. And him trying to make his own score and his own cut there is when the things start to devolve for him. Yeah. Yeah. And that and that's really just the whole like, you know, arc of the movie is just that downward spiral and it just watching De Niro slowly lose like everything. But like it's all through his own remission, really. I I mean like and that's why kind of like going back to what I was saying he's just kind of a little bit of a scumbag because like at the end of the day like as much as he says that he's like you know 
out to do like what's right by like everybody that he's involved with business wise. He really was just kind of only out for himself and like, you know, yeah. as any of these, any of these soon to be wife, your yeah. ex-wife, you know? Yeah. Um, and that, that I felt was the interesting part was the relationship between Sam and, and Ginger this, this time around, because like, you know, she's mentioned in the first half, but like really the second act is about like the collapse of their relationship, especially the second half of the second act that leads into the third act of everything, you know, falling apart as it always does uh, yeah. in these mob stories. Um, I and- think Sharon Stone was just amazing in this because like, you know, at this point we've covered like two of uh, the, uh, this is like the third Sharon Stone movie we covered. We covered Basic Instinct, we covered Total Recall. And both those movies have her playing for the most part, very confident, like women that like have control of the room uh, at all times. And here, her character is a mess. Like her character, like pretty much is just like hysterical throughout this, and it brings a performance for Sharon that we haven't really seen before on this podcast. She's yeah, like, this why this is her only movie she's got nominated well, for an Oscar because she shows just started out confident. That's like what attracted Sam to her, but yeah, whether it's through the you know, she, but we they, see that breakdown. We see that breakdown, and it was ultimately a decision to marry Sam and her relationship that she had with um, uh, James Wood's character, uh, who he was great in this Lester Diamond. He was like this slimy pimp that yeah. she knew when she was like a you know a hustler coming up in Vegas. It took me a while to realize that was James Woods. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize it was James Woods until like the last time. And then it was like, oh, and he's like berating their daughter. And I was like, oh, that's James Woods. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. That's 100% <laughs> James Wood. Woods. But, um, you know, I I felt like it, it was like a two-pronged thing. It was like a relationship that was just never going to work out between Ginger and Sam. Uh, like when he was like, I love you. And she was like, I don't look i don't feel about you that way and he's like oh we'll make an agreement we'll make it work and like yeah. you hear that and you're just like oh that never <laughs> works that will not work the, record that- scratch like oh so guess what happened <laughs> yeah marriages aren't business decisions buddy sorry <laughs> but but i you know towards the end and whether it was through like the manipulation of of their relationship of like because he so like a big prominent part of this early, you know, when they get married, he buys $2 million in jewelry and puts it in a safety deposit box as like a conditional savior in case he goes to jail or she needs the money in whatever pinch, um, you know, it's there for her. And, you know, it's like her, the, you know, she leaves him multiple times throughout the movie. And the only thing that keeps bringing her back is the the promise of the money in the safe and the and the jewelry and you know ultimately you know sam seemed to be kind of in the right because she was like when her and lester the last time they're together they're cutting up lines of cocaine in front of their like eight-year-old daughter to doing it and like trying to figure out a plan (laughs) to manipulate him for all the money they have where they're going to take her abroad and then like make him pay millions of dollars to get his daughter back and i'm like He's not a good person, but he's at least reading this situation pretty well, you know? He's like, yeah, James Woods, probably you don't want him in your life. I think that's uh, advice for Casino in the movie, and I think that's advice in real life, too. <laughs> hey. yeah, I love man. You gotta start him out young. <laughs> you gotta start him out young with a, with a good, uh, with a good uh, James Woods uh, father figure. <laughs> he's, a, he's, a fa- he's a paternal figure. That's really what he, uh, that's what he stands for, but 
Uh, Tommy, for you, what was like kind of your favorite sequence of this film? Like what what kind of drew you in the most? I think that um, I think this is a scene that was just uh, hilarious was in a very dark way of just Sharon Stone just fucking up De Niro's car in the driveway like over and over and over again. And then like pretty much just De Niro's just like, what the fuck is going on? He steps outside and the cops are there. He's just like, I'm afraid of forgetting her in my house. I feel like she's going to break everything. Like what's going on? And then uh, while you see Sharon Stone just throwing shoes around the fucking house and be like, oh, well, fuck this and fuck that. He's just talking to guy outside and he's like, Oh, some guy have a kid. Uh, like, oh, well, you got another kid. Nice, congrats. Just like, oh, they both of them just like, this fucking asshole is just going to take care of this shit. That's just like when she's like outside and she's like, I'm not letting her in until she calms down. She's like, I'm fucking calm. It's like, it doesn't yeah. sound calm. Yeah. <laughs> and, she, and, he, and she's like screaming at him like, he's threatening me. He's doing all this. And he's just like, listen, I'll let her in the house. She's just got to calm down a little bit. I'm afraid she's going to hurt me. You know, and it's like, if you're a cop and you don't know the full situation, because Sam has clearly made uh, threats to to Ginger, who starts sleeping with Nikki, who is Joe Pesci's character, uh, which is definitely messed up. Not no question about it. Um, but they, uh, you know, he um, he he was. I don't like. Did you feel like he was controlling of her? Because it felt like it was just like a switch in the movie where. Like she just didn't want to be with him, and then the more she tried to leave, the more controlling he got. But like, oh yeah, they... dude, absolutely, he was controlling it. But like, he really got to like a sickness at like towards the end, where like he had like the beeper and like the tracker on her, and then like when she'd come back, he, he like would question her, like where where'd you have lunch? Who'd you like have lunch you with? with? Yeah. Way? Like you know, shit like that. It, it became like sort of obsessive after a little while, and like you know. At a certain point, it, it would like, you know, oh, you're, you're managing your relationship. Yeah, no, you're 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 yeah. you're micromanaging your marriage, dude. Like, what the fuck are you well, doing? But here? like, I, I'll I'll take the devil's advocate position here. Like, she keeps leaving him to go see Lester. This this she keeps shirts leaving. don't need to be controlled. But <laughs> no, but I'm not saying she need to be controlled. I'm saying that like, like <laughs> he was hard. dumbly and like he just had this soft spot in his heart for loving her. But every time she came back, he was like ultimately just then had to have more control every time she let him back the right decision would have been to just be like let's just get a divorce here's half the jewels like yeah you're gonna blow it but go ahead like that's like the right way to go about it yeah no yeah. yeah exactly and like you know if like you know he treats fucking a relationship like anything else like throughout the movie whether it be like the casino business or just his life in general he doubles down on it and he wants his way no matter what and he will not accept no for an answer yeah and and the big thing that you know he won't accept no for an answer is when um you know one of the the slots managers they some guys were running a hustle on it and they got three big jackpots in a row and the floor manager was tuned in with somebody his his uh, father-in-law worked for the state for the gaming commission and they made a big deal about how like they don't really check the applications and you can just change your title every 90 days like cuz uh, Sam had a lot of um uh prior history as a gambler as a as a bookmaker so he wouldn't get a job you know get that authorized uh through the the gaming commission but they fired this guy and uh who was it was lq jones who played pat webb comes in and it's like a very tense scene um 
you know, I did love like the little bit like, all right, yeah, yeah, just give me a minute. And he's just, he's like sitting at his desk and he just gets up. He's just in his briefs, like goes into his closet, pulls out a pair of pants to put on. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is how this guy operates. If he's just in his office alone, he's got he's going broad. He's going broad. He's going commando down there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. No, that's walking in. I, I mean, I just love the scene of like him going into the office of De Niro and being just like, yeah, you gotta rehire my uh, bro- what was it, brother-in-law or son-in-law? Um, son-in-law. Son-in-law. Yeah, yeah. But he's like, that. he's like, well, I gotta be honest with you, your son-in-law is incompetent. He's like, you got me there. He can't do shit. But can't you do a favor for me? It's like, no. <laughs> yeah, it's like point, it's like you could have made him the director of food or whatever, and yeah. like got him off like where the money losses. But uh, you know, another scene of showing like how controlling Sam was was. He and one of the lawyers were eating muffins, blueberry muffins. They open the muffins. Yeah. And his does not have the same amount of mu- blueberries as the other one. He goes back in the kitchen. Oh, He's yeah. Like, <laughs> now make sure every muffin has this equal amount of blueberries. Like, do you know how long that would take? I don't care. Just do it. It's like one of those. And the chef's just standing there, like holding it like this. And it's like, it's showing how, how much his ego has ballooned, where it's just like, because he's a big part of that first hour showing how he's transformed the way these casinos are run and how they were modeled and how they really become this like money maker and the Tangiers, which is a stand in for the stardust, uh, you know, brought in, you know, over a hundred million dollars of revenue in the 1970s, which is a lot of money. A lot yeah, especially of, back then. And I mean, yeah. today it's a lot of money, but back then it's about a billion dollars in revenue it was one of like the first casinos to, to hit that, that uh benchmark um and it's seeing like how that ego just ultimately balloons and his downfall and the downfall of the whole mafia organization there um i did like that they uh they did the layla uh scene quote unquote with uh Mm -hmm. house of the rising sun which i didn't think hit as effectively as the layla scene in goodfellas but there's just there are just a lot of parallels to these two movies where absolutely where everybody's getting whacked and uh, Ginger ends up dead, overdosed on drugs. It's set to the the House of the Rising Sun. And it was, I was just sitting there, like, watching it. I'm like, oh, this is totally listening. Like, eh. I was like, eh, that's totally yeah. listening. I, we I mean, we're joking up the needle drops that, like, some of them are kind of, like, almost <laughs> eye-rollingly obvious for Scorsese. I mean, he's playing his hits right here. This is Scorsese the hits, I feel like, where he's, like, obviously he has, what, Gimme Shelter, which I feel like has been in a mm. fuck ton of Scorsese yeah. movies. Can you hear me knocking during the fucking yeah. Coke scene? Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, don't get me wrong, those are great scenes, but it's just like, all right, yes, yeah, Scorsese's right in his zone. He's he's playing his hits right here. Well, I did you know, like the it. Soundtrack's there. incredible, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It, it like it, no matter what movie you put him in, the score is fucking absolutely excellent. The, the he, score is great, but it's just it's kind of the like the staples of a Scorsese soundtrack that's going to be dropped in. Like you just know you're going to get Rolling Stones. You're going to get like these old classic rock and these old love ballads from like the 1950s. Like like it's a very consistent soundtrack not that it's not good but like i feel like give me shelter has been in like five scorsese movies yeah no <laughs> you're probably right about that he's a big stones guy though he even did a documentary on the stones yeah. uh what is it shine a light i think that's it i, yeah. I haven't seen it actually there's a there's a whole article i just found that said every time martin scorsese used give me shelter in his movies i mean yeah it's known as a trope at this point for him. Mm. oh yeah no it, it was in the departed too uh, that was everywhere in the departed in the opening of that movie yeah uh, 
that that was uh that was everything i think that might have been like my introduction to that song hmm. was because i was 2006 i was 12 and i was like what is this song i don't know but he's like, he's every bit of a music fanatic as he is a movie fanatic and, that, and that's kind of why he's my favorite director in that regard apart from the fact that he's super italian as well so that definitely helps the big George harrison guy too fucking my favorite beetle he did a documentary on george harrison fucking incredible documentary if you haven't watched it but i could go all day <laughs> don't let me get started on the beatles I won't. I won't let you start it because I'm going to transition right now. Good. I am a star. I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a star. I am a big, bright, shining star. All right. So who is the star of the show? Who do you feel gave the best performance? Tommy, I'm going to kick it over to you. As much as obviously De Niro's the main character in here, I feel like it's not a, uh, anything I haven't really seen De Niro do before. So I'm going to go with Sharon Stone. I think she gave a performance that has felt very unique for her a filmography she's not the cool confident person throughout you get to see her like break down you get to see her just have like honestly the her, most hilarious her emotions, com- her emotions take over where she's usually very lethargic and like on point in a lot of her other performances yeah like you could never see her character in basic instinct breaking down like this all the time like it's uh this in general just I felt like just brought a real nuance to the movie, a new flavor to like this movie in many ways felt like Goodfellas part two to me. And she was the one part that stood out to me that didn't feel as uh, more unique in comparison to Goodfellas. Steve, who's your star of the show? Well, you see, the thing about George Harrison is that like when you think about it, he was really not (laughs) really hurt during the Beatles because (laughs) um, so um, yeah, um, Sharon Stone all day. Tommy said everything I was going to say, essentially. And I mean, like, the thing about it is, is that she was like a wild card from the get go when you like are introduced to her character and you think like, all right, this girl is absolutely apeshit off her rocker. There's no way that she can get any crazier. And then she does. And she absolutely owns it. And she's just this maniacal, evil woman. And, uh, you know, like some of them, like it, when you go back to like even TV dramas here, like I'll give you a couple examples, like Carmela and Sopranos, you get um, Skyler and Breaking Bad, you know, you have these female protagonists or like, you know, supporting actors, so to speak, that are like there for the like main character and like you understand, you empathize with them and you feel for them. But then they turn around and their actions are just so evil. It's like, all right, you're going to fuck with me. I'm going to fuck with you tenfold. And it makes you hate the character so much more. I've never and, got, I've never understood the hatred for Skylar from Breaking Bad. Like, it, I, I'm just like, I think she's like kind of 100% in the right. She's 100% <laughs> in the right. But then like when you see how fucking cold she is and like, you know, when you're like, putting yourself in Walter's shoes and you're like, he's just doing all this for his family. And then you see like her act. But he, 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 he wasn't. He's he's doing it all, all for his family. Dude, like, but she fucked mouth. Ted. She didn't have to fuck Ted. She didn't have to. All right. So th- that's where she was in the wrong. And, and at the end of the day, it, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, like this woman like is just so fucking evil. But at the same time, she's kind of right. So you can't really hate her. So, like, at the end of the day, that those are some, like, 
that's how you can tell who is the best supporting actor in any movie that you love them so much. Like you love their acting style so much that you actually hate their character. And now, like when I see your face, like even when I see your face in fucking Seinfeld, I'm like, oh, there's fucking Skylar. I bet she's fucking Ted cheating on Jerry. <laughs> Just really intense right there. Um, that was that was a real intense hatred of a Skylar moment. Uh, yeah, she's she kind of sucks. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I would also say Sharon Stone. I I feel like she also has the most room to play within too. Like. Mm-hmm. Like for me, ultimately, it felt like De Niro and Pesci didn't really have a line to walk in terms of like acting. Like I just felt like they kind of just kind of kept it cool and the same. Like kind like they're good performances, but it didn't have that range that it had in in Goodfellas for both of their characters. Um, yeah. Like like I don't want to say stoic because I don't think it's like the right word. But you no, know what it's I not. Mean? You, you, you knew what you were gonna uh, get. Well, that, that's well, what it was. Exactly. Like, with Pesci, Pesci I thought was good in this movie, but it did, like we were saying before, just felt like Tommy 2.0 in um, this movie where like he didn't really do anything that was anything different from Goodfellas. It might as well just been the same character. Obviously, historically, it wasn't and stuff like that, but it was just, yeah, uh, of course, who's going to play the hothead uh, mobster in this movie? Oh, Joe Pesci, of course. <laughs> yeah. So he just played it, played his typical like, you know, range and stuff like that. It, it, Almost felt like almost like a typecast thing where it's like, okay, of course we're going to cast this guy. So, you know, it's another fucking um, De Niro Pesci movie that you guys got to do if you both haven't seen it or at least one of you is uh, Raging Bull. Raging Bull is fantastic. I haven't seen it all the way through. Uh, Still counts. Tom, yeah. we should fucking do that. Same thing with Casino. I remember I rented Casino at like a fucking local video store like 13 years ago and for some reason I, I i i think it was like i watched 30 minutes and i'm like i got called for dinner and i just never finished it i forgot yeah, to fucking say i told you <laughs> yeah. that mr short attention span right there i fucking called it <laughs> well how old were you i was like in like 10th grade i think when this happened so <laughs> oh, okay yeah you this had pre- you, you, you this is this is pre-smartphone so i think i had better attention span back then <laughs> yeah probably i did yeah, we all we that. all did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for real. Simpler time. <laughs> ah, are you ready, comedy partner? Waka waka. You know what I'm learning with these three-hour epics, Tommy? Didn't work well as Muppet movies. Yeah, when I hit that drop, it's like, oh, would Casino work as a Muppet adaptation? Steve, I'm gonna throw it to you first. Do you think? Do you think Casino could work? Do you think we could get Kermit running around running a casino? Not a shot for shot remake. <laughs> I, I just like a shot for shot remake of them taking the hammer to fucking like um like pip of the a pip yeah. of the prongs fucking fingers and just smash his fucking felt fingers <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Or, or beats him over the head with like a rotary phone or, or like yeah <laughs> get really slapstick they could get really slapsticky because oh this totally. movie is this movie is way more brutal than Goodfellas. The, the oh, yeah. yeah well, th- this is a movie that like was originally going to be NC-17 because of, of how violent it was, and they had to make like a ton of cuts just to get it down to an R. <laughs> well, I wonder if they did the South Park guys things where they said when they were doing the movie, they would put in jokes that were intentionally like more, more bad so that the jokes that they actually wanted to get into the movie like got in. Oh, so they, 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 would... did, they, they did that 100% for this movie. Scorsese said that he intentionally had the vice scene, the guy in the, with his head uh, in the vice, 
as like a thing of like, oh well, MPA is probably gonna cut this out immediately, and like I, uh, they won't cut everything else I really want in this movie. And then shockingly, they're like, yeah, the head vice scene, like yeah, whatever, keep that in, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, and that yeah. that was like one of the most vicious things I've ever seen in a Scorsese movie. Uh, the kills in this are more vicious, although less frequent, I feel like, than in, uh, you know, some of his other films. Yeah. Well, it definitely makes it stand out more, too. Yeah, it does. In, in that regard. It, it, it emphasizes, like, the plot progression and the points, because it's usually like a transition of time comes right after it in a big moment when, when somebody gets whacked. Uh, it's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's a big I mean, change there. I'm really looking at a picture right now of P. Diddy with Pepe the Prawn at a casino, both just up in Texas. So, I mean, they, they've gone down that avenue before. <laughs> yeah. But this you know what? Sh- I Like, definitely not shot for shot, but you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll do a Muppet adaptation of the best kill scenes. How's that sound? Because I'd, I'd love to see a Muppet adaptation <laughs> of Joe Pesci getting fucking watching his, like, Bert and Ernie getting, while well, fucking Ernie watching <laughs> Bert get beat with baseball. Bert, no! No! no it's Bert. also, like, in the last five minutes of the movie uh, versus, like, Tommy's death, which is, like, the hour 45 mark. In, in Goodfellas, this is in like the last five minutes of a three-hour movie, and then it's like Sammy in San Diego being like, "Yeah, I still make lines. That's what I do." <laughs> movie ends. And, movie ends, and everything for me turned out just okay. I mean, I did like how the movie opened up with the car bombing, and then the, wait, uh, did you then, did you guys see the fake dummy there? Because it was very yeah. obvious in the yeah, uh, yeah, in yeah. the, in the oh, opening yeah. one. The fake dummy. I mean, like apparently that was like the way to show like him descending the, into hell. But I, I, I was kind of shocked that, like, as a narrative trick. I, I literally thought this was a good movie of like, yeah, I've been dead the whole time and I'm narrating. Like, what's that movie that's done that before? Like, uh, there's some random shitty movie that's like, yeah, I've been talking to you this whole time. I've been dead and your narrator. Well, that, that's because you're going to roll your eyes. Uh, I do like because Joe Pesci also narrates Frank Vincent a couple times narrates in there. But Joe Pesci's given the narration, and then he just go when he right about he's about to get whacked, and he goes ah, and then that's that's the end. Oh yeah, the voice. Yeah, like, <laughs> I actually just noticed that this last uh, time watching it, that it cuts like right in the middle of a sentence almost. And yeah, he goes like, like ah, like he's getting he got like when he was getting grabbed. Uh, yeah, particularly brutal kill scenes that the Muppets could definitely make fun for children. Uh, so review time, boys. Steve, no, four or five all day. Four 100%. to five. Yeah, no, all day. Like, if you like Scorsese movies, this is one that is quintessential to the collection. You must see, hands down, great story, true story. Gives you a lot of insight of the mob, as well as just how Las Vegas was built, like I was saying earlier. And uh, it, it's, it's really uh, it's really eye-opening in that regard, and it's a lot of fun. Tommy? Um, so yeah, so I like this movie. This is a fun first watch. Um, a lot of it though did feel like Scorsese playing the hits. I mean, uh, it felt like covering well trod ground he's done before. Um, but overall, I mean, the performances were good given that those things and the hits of Scorsese are fucking a lot better than the, any other directors. So I mean, I'm gonna go four out of five. Just wasn't really a huge innovation movie for me. I mean, like the way Goodfellas felt like ground bait breaking, but. Overall, this is a good second uh, at bat for, you know, as Goodfellas 2 is what this movie feels like. All right, Tommy, up there with Batman Superman. Four to no, five. Batman Superman. No, Batman Superman, I gave a fucking like two out of five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Set the record straight. Okay. 
Yeah, anytime he gives something good a two out of five, I'm just like, that's Tommy's Batman v Superman. Now, he liked Casino more than Batman v Superman. We got to give him some credit where credit's due. I'm also going to give it a four out of five. It's, you know, I want to also highlight the costumes. I felt like like all the costumes were fantastic, like very colorful suits. Like it was like a million dollar. They had a million dollar budget just for costumes. (laughs) Yeah, like it felt very alive, like. Like Sam was in a new suit every scene. Every time the camera cut away, he was wearing something different. Um, you know, as Tommy and Steve covered here, it it feels like what you kind of would expect. I think that was kind of almost the thing that you'd want different from this. Um, but it's still a, a great story with great performances with one of the greatest directors making the film. So yeah, you're gonna have a good time with Casino. Four to five. Uh yeah. Upstairs, Steve, thanks for joining us again. It's always fun to have you on, as always. Well, it's a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me once again. And uh, look forward to many more. Have you seen It's a Wonderful Life before? I haven't. Oh. You, you just, like, made Tim just so fucking happy. Yeah. I. Yeah, <laughs> oh, wow. Hold on. Tim, Tim, uh, so we want to do a, a recoverage of It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, but we need to, we just want to share the joy and the beauty of that movie <laughs> with everybody. So now you're a guest for a Christmas episode. One of them is going to be It's a Wonderful Life again. Lock, lock in. You have to watch a movie from the 40s, Tim. I mean, Steve. <laughs> I could do that. I fucking love movies from back then. Yeah, no, it's it's a great movie. It's a great movie, though. So, um, so we'll have upstairs Steve on again for "It's a Wonderful Life." Tommy, any final thoughts before we wrap up this episode? Uh, Yeah, well, thank you guys so much for listening. You can uh, follow us on social media at Cenit Pod. That's on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, uh, the occasional thread, you know, uh, here and there. Um, And leave us a five star review. Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, really helps out the show. Helps us grow and you know say some good things or say some good things about upstairs Steve. And yeah. yeah. Big underscore mocha eight two one on Instagram, YouTube, <laughs> your sister's ass, the Pony Express. Holla at you, boy. <laughs> exactly. Uh and next week we're doing uh Mrs. Doubtfire, a movie I've tried to watch twice and somehow never finished. So not not because I fell asleep, not because I fucking hated the movie. <laughs> no, we're all judging you. They're all judging you because you can't stay awake for a 90-minute movie. Uh, Thank you guys all so much for listening today. We will see you again next week.